Estás escuchando un mensaje de parte de Vida City Church Houston. Para más información de nuestra iglesia, visita nuestra página de web en vidacch.org. Y ahora con ustedes, el mensaje. You are listening to a message from Vida City Church Houston. For more information about our church, visit our website at vidacch.org. And now with you, today's message. If you've gone to college, gone to university, um, I didn't go to college, but I went to Bible school in Mexico. But they did the same thing that they do when you go to college. They'll give you a syllabus. A syllabus is basically a rundown of what to expect, the courses you're going to take, how you will be graded, the assignments you've got to make. Everything, everything is given to you so that when you have your test, you know, and when you finish that course, <clears throat> you know exactly how you are going to be scored. You know exactly the exams and how they're going to score, grade those exams. That's a syllabus. This parable is exactly that. It is a syllabus of our stewardship for what belongs to God. And that one day we will have to give account to God for everything that he gave us in life. <clears throat> for everything that he allowed us to administer for him. For everything that we had, we will give account to God for that. So here's the syllabus. There are three principles that guide and govern our lives that we find in this parable. By the way, if you go to our church app. And uh, if you have it, you download it, you should find the notes, the outline of what we're going to talk about today. I don't know if I'll finish it all, but we'll go as far as we can. Number one, the first principle that governs and guides our life that we find in this parable is this. Everything in your life comes from and belongs to God. Everything in your life comes from and belongs to God. Nothing that we have belongs to us. According to the word of God, everything belongs to him. In this parable, verse 14 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Listen. Who called his own servants, listen, and delivered his goods to them. So my goods, this is mine, and I'm going to give it to you for you to administrate it while I'm gone. Jesus went back to heaven and has blessed us with what belongs to him, and he's expecting for us to be good stewards of it. And so in order to be a good steward, you've got to understand that it's not ours, that everything belongs to him. You've got to understand that everything comes from and everything belongs to him. You know, you didn't make it by yourself if you thought you did. You didn't get it by yourself. You didn't achieve it by yourself. And you didn't obtain it by yourself. Everything that is good in your life comes from the grace of God. Everything that we have comes from the goodness of God. And we ought to thank God 
that if it hadn't been for his goodness and it hadn't been that he trusts us, we wouldn't have anything that we have here today. Hello, somebody. The Bible says in Psalms 24.1, listen to what it says. The earth is the Lord's. Whose is it? The Lord. And everything in it. It also says <clears throat> the world and all who live in it. Everything belongs to God. Haggai chapter 2 verse 8. It says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. It says, declares the Lord Almighty. I found this verse in Leviticus, Leviticus 25, verse 23. I love how the message puts it out. It says, the land is mine. You are foreigners. You're my tenants. How about that? The land is mine. You're foreigners, but you're only my tenants. Wow. You're just taking care of it. You're just, you just have a lease on life. You're just here for a moment. You're just tenants here because everything belongs to me. God is the owner of everything. The clothes that you wear, that, that, that's God's. Hello? The clothes that you're wearing is God's. The car you drove into church today, you know what? That was the goodness of God. I don't know if you are aware of it, but even the food that warmed your stomach this morning, that's the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The breath that you just took, that was God's, and he just lent it to you so that you could stay alive. Hello, somebody. Everything belongs to God. The job that you're going to tomorrow, that's God's faithfulness, and that, that's God's goodness over your life. The family, your family that woke up this morning is God's goodness, and it's God's favor upon your life. Even that $1 that you may have in your pocket, that belongs to God, and God trusted you with it. God is good. That even though everything belongs to him, he's willing to entrust you and entrust me with all his goods, trusting, hoping that we will be good stewards of everything that he has given us. So principle number one is that everything comes from and belongs to God. The second thing that we find in this parable is that you only manage it for a season. You only manage it for a season. The Bible says in verse 15, And to one he gave five talents, and to another two talents, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on his journey. He's coming back. So he says, you have just for a season to administer what I am giving you that belongs to me. It's not forever. I don't know if you thought everything was forever, but you're not the owner. I'm not the owner. We're the managers. We're the administrators of what God has given us, and we only manage it for a season. Nothing, listen to me, in your life is a permanent possession. Nothing in our lives is a permanent possession. I know your name is on the count. And I know that the deed also has your name. And I know that you pay the mortgage every month. But I've got news for you. Nothing in life is a permanent possession. 
If there's something that you ought to know by now is that your life span is only the season that God gives you to manage his stuff. And when your life is over, your term of management is over. And you'll easily find out what Job said. I came naked into this world and I'm leaving out of here naked out of this world. He says, I brought nothing in and when I'm going out, I'm taking nothing out with me. It's only temporary and God gives us the ability and gives us the season for us to manage what belongs to him. You know, life has a way of challenging our administration of God's resources. Because there will become, there will come times of recession. Hello. What do you do when there's times of layoff? What do we do when unexpected sicknesses come to our lives or unexpected financial situations come to our life that makes it challenging to administer what God has given us and you'll quickly find out that you only manage that for a season the third principle is aside that everything comes from and everything belongs to God and that we only manage it for a season the third principle is there is a day of accountability. We will be held accountable to how we handled and had managed his resources. Verse 19 says that after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He settled accounts with them. You see, the Lord will hold us accountable for what we've done with what he has given us. We will be held accountable on how we used our time and how we cared for our family and, yes, even how we spent his money. We will be held accountable. Listen, the parable teaches us that this test in the syllabus that he's giving us, it's either a pass or a fail course. You can only pass it or you're going to fail it. There are only two grades that you're going to get. Well done or wicked and lazy. Faithful or unfaithful. That when our life comes to an end, and it will, the question is not going to be, listen, how, how, how loud you shouted amen or how many times uh, you made it in the year to church. The question is not going to be how many verses that you memorize from the Bible. But the question is going to be, were you faithful or unfaithful with the things that God entrusted into your care? And when Jesus calls the three servants in to hold them accountable... The one that brought five, that was given five and brought five more, the Lord said, you're faithful. The other person that comes with two talents and brings another two, the Lord scores his grade faithful. But when the one servant comes that was given one talent 
and comes back and gives them the one talent. His grade was, you are wicked and you are a lazy servant. And I don't know about you, but whenever this lifespan of mine is ended, whenever my season is done, I do not want the Lord to hold me accountable with the failing grade that I was <clears throat> wicked and that I was lazy. I want him to be able to tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You were faithful in the little, and I'm going to make you faithful now in much. I don't know about you. I don't know if that's ever crossed your mind that we will be held accountable for what God has given us and has entrusted us. My question is, what made this one individual unfaithful? What was it that made him unfaithful? And there are three levels of being unfaithful with the gifts that God has given you. The first level of unfaithfulness, thank you, is neglect. Neglect. We can become unfaithful when we neglect what God has given us. He, he, he takes what God gave him and he buries it in the ground. He neglects it. He doesn't care for it. He doesn't pay attention to it. He doesn't really put everything in order on the accounts. And how many of us are guilty of neglect of what God has given us, that there is no budget, that we have no idea what we're spending, and we have no idea where we're spending it. This guy buried it. He didn't care for it. And when you don't take proper care of what you know the Lord has given you, he, this guy takes the money, buries it in the ground, and then he tries to just cover up with an excuse. He's unfaithful. There becomes guilty of not only unfaithfulness but of misusing money. I would tell you that if you've never been taught about money, then spending is more important than saving. If you've never been taught about money, then image is more important than investments. If you've never been taught about money, then you'll think that a credit score is something to laugh about. If you've never been taught about money, you typically advertise how much you make by what you drive. If you've never been uh, taught about money, listen, you'll spend the money being a free advertising, wearing the logos and the brands of designers. And it's okay. Somebody said that if you got the money, you buy what you want. And if you don't have the money, you buy what you can. But at the end of everything, we're good stewards. At least we should be. We should be good stewards of God's money. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to, to, to represent him well. But at, not, not at the cost of misusing his money. Buying things with money you ain't got. Hello? Spending money you ain't got, buying things you don't need to impress people you don't even know. This guy was neglectful of the real purpose of why God had given him and entrusted him with his goods. 
second level of abuse because the first one is negl- uh, 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 of unfaithfulness. The first level, ne- level is neglect. The second level is abuse. Abuse. When you abuse something, abuse is abnormal use. That's, that's abuse. When you try cutting small shrubs with your lawnmower. When you try using a knife as a screwdriver, that's not normal use. That's abnormal use. It's called abuse. And when you take what God is giving you and you use it for other purposes other than what God gave it for, that is called unfaithful. So when you take what God is giving you to bless others and to bless his kingdom, that is called faithfulness. But when you use it just to bless yourself and ignore what God really wants you to do as well with it, then you become abusive with what God has given you. I'll suggest to you that how you get money and how you use it is directly connected with what you do with it. How you get money is directly connected to what you do with it. If you took it, you're going to spend it. If you earned it, you're probably going to invest it. If you stole it, you're probably going to smoke it. If you work for it, you're probably going to enjoy it. If you inherit it, you're probably going to pass it down to others. If you were blessed by it, you'll probably bless others with it. If you prayed for it, you're probably going to tithe on it. And if you got it easily, you're probably going to lose it quickly. If it's old money, it's probably in a fund somewhere. If it's new money, it's probably sitting on some dubs and some ribs, rims outside. Hello, somebody. If it's first money, you're probably wearing it all right now. Because it's really not how much you earn and how much you have that speaks of who you are, but rather what you do with that money that speaks volumes about your character. So he not only neglected it, but he also abused it. And thirdly, he was unfaithful because he was unprofitable. There was no production. There was no produce. There was no fruition. He didn't earn anything with it. He didn't know how to invest it. He didn't know how to give it to get more. He buried it in the ground. You see, when you receive something from the Lord and the only thing you can do is bury it, there's something wrong. When you take what God has given you and it doesn't bring glory to God, you are unprofitable and you're called an unfaithful servant. It's interesting that when you can find time to use your money, 
You can find time to do things with your money that brings your pleasure. You seem to be happy. But it's funny that we can find time and find money to satisfy our desires, but we never have time nor money to serve God and to give for his purposes. It's interesting that when you come to church, I don't have tithes and I don't have offerings to give. Look at me, not the person next to you, but, but your nails are very well done. The color really sticks to the hair. You got a brand new shirt. You got a brand new outfit. And don't misunderstand me. God wants you to look good. But not at the expense of neglecting, of abusing, and being unprofitable with what God has given you that he wants you to give back to him. My question is, have you been faithful? Are you taking care, proper care of God's resources that he's entrusted you? Are you using them for the sole purpose of that in everything you do, you bring glory to God? Or are you simply bringing yourself pleasure? Like I said, what was it that made these guys or made this guy unfaithful? What was it that made him unprofitable? This same parable, and I'll close with this, teaches us, listen closely, the why and how we are unfaithful. Why? Number one, we become unfaithful because of comparison. He compared his gifts to the others. When he saw that the other one had five gifts, and he saw that the other one had four talents, when he saw that they, he, he, he said, this is unfair. How come you're giving him five and you're giving him two and, and you're only giving me, me one? And it's easy to become upset. Listen closely. It's easy to become upset when you compare your life to somebody else's life. It's easy to become frustrated and angry with God and feel that, that the world is unfair when, when you see somebody else's blessings and you can become discouraged and, and using your own saying no because, because I don't have what they have. Here's the problem with comparison. A comparison will always lead to inactivity because he was comparing himself with what everybody else had he became inactive with what God had given him. Because you can look at somebody else's backyard and you can always seem that seem like their grass is greener over there than yours. You can always look at somebody's garage and see what they're driving and, and say, oh, that costs more than what I have. You can look at their, at their closet and see that they've got more clothes than you have and, and that some of their clothes is not even used. And, and, and when you see all that, you can say, well, then God doesn't expect me to do as much as he's expecting them because they are blessed, they are prospered, and I'm not. 
And all of a sudden, comparison will lead to inactivity. Let, let, me, let me put my, my pastor hat on for, for a moment. You come to Vida Cedar Church and you look around and you begin to see uh, uh, that there's some bougie people. And you begin to see that there's some people that are wearing bling blings. And you go out to the parking lot as you drive in and you see the different models of cars that, that are out there. That, that, that you know, you see a, a Mercedes or you see a BMW or you see a Land Rover or you see another type of a car just because you have a Toyota and you have a Ford and you begin to come to church and saying I don't need to give to church because God blessed them more they're the ones that are supposed to give not me they've got the money I don't they're the ones that have more to commit than I do and so all of a sudden I put my wallet in back into my pocket I crunch my hand on the cash that I have because my thought of inactivity is you guys that God has blessed you you're the ones that are supposed to carry the church. And we tend to forget that God gave five to one according to his ability and that he gave the other one two according to his ability and that he gave the other one according to his ability. Hello, somebody. There's something that you've got to remember that God does not forget. God knows what I can handle. God knows what you can handle. God knows what she can handle. God is not ignorant and so God will bless somebody because you can do that and I expect more from you. Hello, somebody. Sometimes we fret and we, and, and we cry because I only got a little bit. God is saying, if you want much, you've got to produce much. If you want a lot, you've got to produce a lot. And sometimes we complain, God wants the 10%. That's too much. Then tell God not to give you that much and you don't have to pay that much. And so we get that attitude of comparison that I don't need to do anything because everybody else is doing a lot more and giving a lot more and driving better than what I'm driving, living better than what God says, I give everyone according to their ability. You have the ability. Do you ever thought and thought for a moment that the guy that got five talents at one time had one? And that he worked his way up and he says, hey, I worked this and now I got two. And then he got two and now I got four. God says, I can trust you with five. Did you ever stop and think that nobody gets up there just because they got up there? Sometimes we criticize, listen, the glory, but we don't tend to see their story and how it got them to get to where they are. And we live in this little shell of pity of saying, I don't need to give and I don't need to do this because God provided that for them and they're the ones that are supposed to do it. So he gave one five according to their ability. He gave four, two to the other one according to his ability. But there are some few of us here that are grateful to God because since God knows everything, God knew this guy was not going to do anything. Are you listening? God knew this guy was going to just bury it. God knew that this guy was not even going to work it. But you ought to be thankful that even though he was the least worthy person to get anything, God still gave him a, 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 gave him a talent and says, work it at least. I trust you. I know you can do something with it because what I put inside of you is more than enough to produce this and make it flourish and make it profitable. And so comparison, compare that everybody has more. It's not fair. 
And so comparison then takes you to inactivity. I don't participate. I don't do anything because, oh, thank God. God blessed them to do all of that. Not understanding that even in the one talent, God is going to hold us accountable for what we did. And finally, comparison will lead to ingratitude. When you compare to somebody, you're not grateful for what you got. You're not grateful for what you, God has given you. You're not grateful for even the little that God has given you. And we become ungrateful. And because he has more, and because he has more, that's not fair. And because he and she has more, then, then I'm, not, I'm not entitled, obligated to do anything because God is blessing them more, so they should carry the load. And number three, I ignore what God has given me. I should at least be happy that God, when I'm unworthy, God still gave me something. That I still have. You, 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 you got to thank God because you may not have a house, but, but maybe you got an apartment. You may not have the apartment, but maybe you've got a room. You may not have a room, but at least you got a shelter. God is good all the time. Are you listening? God is good all the time. You may not have the Louis Vuitton, but you got the Lord on your side. Are you listening? You may not have a, 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 a James, what's it called? St. James or whatever, but you got Jesus. Jesus has just said, hello somebody, you got to be thankful for the little. That's why he said, because you've been faithful in the little, I can put you in much. And maybe we're the only ones that are stopping God's blessings from our life because I can't give God thank you that I've got a roof over my head. That I can't go and say, leave the service and say, God, thank you. I may not got what the other one has yet, but I'm working my way there because I'm being, you, you may not have the job, but God gave you the interview. Work it! God is just saying, be grateful with what I gave you. And if I can see that you're appreciative of it, and I can see that you're willing to work it, I can bless it and multiply it, but don't bury it. I'm not going to give you the job, but I'm giving you the interview. What are you going to do with that interview? So we tend to bury it, and because of comparison, the spirit of ingratitude comes in. How much time do I have here? 10.30, Okay. Here we go. We're talking about the four reasons why he was unfaithful. One, because he was comparing. Two, he excused himself from what he knew that the master expected. He excused himself. He, he, here's the ironic thing about this. Look, look, look. Have you ever been with people that say, look, I think you do. Yeah, I know. The I know people. Well, if you would have done this, I know. I think you should do this. I, yeah, I, I know. If you know, what's the excuse? That's exactly what happened here. The first one is he compared himself, and because of comparison, he became inactive and he became ungrateful. The second level of unfaithfulness is that he excused himself from what he knew. I know. It's right there. You find it in verse uh, 26, I believe, and the, the, the guy comes and, and, and the Lord tells the one with one talent, he comes to him and he says, I, I buried, it, buried it because I knew you were a man that 
Jesus responds back and says, if you knew, why didn't you do? I knew you were a man that you, 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 you collect and, and you want to harvest when you, where you didn't sow. And I know that you were a hard man. And I know, well, if you knew, he said, then why didn't you put it in the bank at least to get interest off of it? So if you knew, why didn't you do? And sometimes that's our excuse. Oh, I, I know I should give. I know I should tithe. I know everything belongs to God. I know that I'm just a steward. I know. So then why are we still in the financial rut that we are? I know, I know, I know. Oh, I'm like, then there's nothing else for me to tell you. You know everything. But you don't do what you know. And that's what he was telling him here. So we try to put an excuse and we talk ourselves out of what we know that God expects us, us to do. When we come to church, 96 to 97% of the time, you already know what God expects from you. Yes or no? No, you don't know. You already know what God expects from you. You already know what God has placed in your heart. You already know what God has shown you in his word. Do I really have to tell you to come and worship God? Do I really have to tell you, hey, would you stand up and would you raise your hands? You know God wants you to do that. Do I really have to tell you, you need to tithe and give offerings? You already know that God asks that from you. Do I need to tell you, hey, could you guys get involved and, and, and do something in church? You already know God wants you to use your abilities, your talents, your ministries, and everything that he's given you for the work of God and for the, for the blessing of others. You know that. So then why don't we do it? This guy gave him an excuse. You know what? And God didn't accept it. God didn't say, oh, oh okay. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. No. If you knew then why didn't you do? And if you know, then why don't you put it into practice? If you know you should read the Bible, if you know you should pray, if you know you should try to have your devotion, if you know that you should get involved in church, if you know, if you know, if you know, if you know, then what is the excuse? Because what excuse? You're probably, you're probably thinking of one right now. But what excuse can you give God that he's going to accept? He didn't accept this guy's excuse. He says, no, you are a lazy and wicked servant. Whenever the Lord places an expectation on your heart, there's always going to be a voice that's going to tell you and give you an excuse. An excuse why you're not doing what God expects you to do. And there's two words that the enemy will whisper into your ear as an excuse. You ready? Two words. Two words. Here it is. God understands. The reason I can't do that, God understands. The reason I can't give, God understands. Understands. 
The reason I can't go? Yes, God understands. And that'll be the excuse that the enemy puts in our ear. And many times we try to excuse ourselves by listening to the voice of the enemy. God understands. But the servant gave that excuse to the master, and the master did not accept it. The day that we have to give account to God for what he has entrusted us, what excuse do you think God is going to accept? Number three, he didn't know you have to work what God has given you. The Bible calls this guy wicked and lazy. He didn't know that he had to work it. You have to work on what God has given you. Yes, you have to work on discipline, on work on your spending, on work on how you give, on work on your budget, on work. He did not yield to that. And he did not know that he had to work it. Because it requires work. It requires discipline. It requires planning. It requires commitment. And when you add all that to what God has given you, God will multiply what he has entrusted you. God is not just a God that he just wants to multiply all for him. He's lent it. He's given it to you. And he's even said, look, just give me the 10%. Return the 10% that's mine. And I'll help you administer the other 90 for your blessings, for your well-being, as well as for other purposes that I have in the kingdom. Let, 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 me, let me come to a close here. So whatever God gives you, listen, it has the potential and the possibility to produce more. But you've got to work it. God doesn't give you fruit. God gives you seeds. Hello, somebody. And you've got to work it. Like I said... God may not give you the job, but he'll give you the interview. You have to work it. God may not make you the man or give you the management position, but he can put you in the mail room and you've got to work it. Hello. God won't give you the business, but he'll give you the vision for that business, but you've got to work it. Finally, the last level of unfaithfulness, he didn't know the reward. He didn't know the reward of being faithful. You see, he calls the one that he had given five and came back with five more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things that will make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of the Lord. The guy that comes with two had produced two, and now he has four, the same thing. The Lord says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler. It's the same reward for the one. Did you listen to that? For the one, five, made ten. The one who was given two made four. 
One made more than the other, but they both made something, and it was the same reward. Faithful, good and faithful, enter into the joy of the Lord. See, the greatest reward is not, the greatest reward is not that he tells you to a certain degree, faithful servant. The greatest reward is when he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Because when you're faithful with what God has given you, listen, he will put joy in it that will make the gift even better. He will put joy in it that makes the gift even better. Because the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And you need the joy of the Lord to strengthen the gift. Hello, somebody? That when you have joy, it strengthens your abilities to want to do something for God and be a good steward when you've got joy in it. Hello. When you've got joy and you see that God is blessing your faithfulness, that joy continues to give you the strength to keep going forward. But when you're out and about and when you're not in the good position there is no joy to enjoy there is no joy in doing what there is no joy being in a hole of debt there is no joy in trying to pay all your creditors hello somebody there is no joy when you're having to take from this account to go ahead and supply for this account and still buying time to how am I going to refill this account so that I can I, I don't know if you understand I've been there I've had 22 credit cards and trying to see how do I scratch my head now because I can't even pay the minimum on one there's no joy in that. But the best thing is that when you've been faithful, God says enter into the joy. And that joy gives you the strength to be able to produce the gift that God has given you to make it even better. With joy, I don't mind saving. With joy, I don't mind tithing. With joy, I have no problems giving to missions projects. With joy, I have no problems giving offerings. With joy, I have no problems helping you out. With joy, I don't have a problem being a blessing to somebody else. With joy, I have no problems in serving in my church. When you got joy, joy is the strength that helps you in your gift. To make it even more productive. Let, let, let me see if I can help you. And I really close with this. Come on, musicians. Christmas is just around the corner. And let, let, let me see if I can, I can help somebody with this today. I've learned this in the last four years with my grandkids. I'm going to help you guys out. Rule number one. Never wrap a big toy and put a bow on it and put it under the tree. Never do that. The best thing you can do is unwrap it, put it together, put a bow on it, and leave it ready under the tree. Because I bought my four-year-old, she was three, what's called the Paw Patrol Watchtower. The thing stands about this high. Okay, so it comes in a, two boxes, the box that it's in and then another cardboard box. So we wrap it up and I'm all happy, man, I'm going to give him this Paw Patrol. He's been wanting it, man, I'm going to be the best grandpa in all the world. Okay, so I wrap it up, well, Patsy wraps it up, my wife, because she's a good rapper. 
wraps it up, took about a whole roll of, of, of wrapping paper, and she wraps it up, puts it up, puts the bowl, puts it under the tree. The next morning, we're excited because he's going to open up his gift. And so he goes, and finally we will save it for the last. Here it is, puppy. This is your gift. Open it up. Ah, I can't wait. He starts ripping it up. It's just a cardboard. Remember, there's a box on the inside. It's for a three-year-old, people. It took me almost ten minutes just to take the box inside out of the box on the outside. After I took it out, it took me almost 30 minutes, Johnny, to unloose, to untie all the zip ties, all the little bolts and screws that keeps the toy inside the box. Has anybody been there? 30 minutes. And, and my, 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 my grandson is saying, are you almost done, Grandpa? I, I haven't even gotten it out of the box. And then it takes me almost an hour and 25 to 30 minutes to put every little piece together trying to figure that thing out. So, at the end of the day, we have spent almost two and a half hours trying to put his toy together. And when you get it done, okay, baby, there it is, puppy, it is. Open up, work it. Batteries not included. You can get frustrated. How do you think little Z is feeling? I just waited almost three months that I told my grandpa I wanted this. I finally get to the day and open it up. It's taking him 10 minutes just to get the box out of the box. It's taking my grandpa almost 30 to 35 minutes just to take the pieces out of that box because they're all bolted and they're all, they're all zip-tied and everything. And then it takes him almost an hour and a half to put every piece together to make the tower. I'm excited, and Grandpa tells me to turn it on and play with it. Batteries not included. And all the joy is gone. Hello? All the joy is gone because there are no batteries in there to juice it up. To make it work. That's why, tell you what, for this Christmas, unwrap it. Take two weeks to put it together. At least you know it's all going to be working fine. Make sure it needs batteries. So that on Christmas Day, they open it up. It's put together. It has batteries. And that joy is going to power that baby up so that it functions and it works. That's exactly the same thing with us. The best thing we could hear from God is not that good and faithful servant. That's good. But he says, enter into the joy. There's joy in doing this. When you're a good administrator, there's joy that makes this baby work. There's joy that's going to juice it up. And you're going to be able to work and run with it because you're full of joy versus seeing my little grandson. Okay, Grandpa. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Would you stand to your feet? I hope you learned something today. I know, a, I know it was a lot. But I wanted to preach four on, on giving. And I thought I wasn't going to be here this Sunday. And when I found out I was going to be here, I said, let me close it up with the fourth one. The syllabus of stewardship. Everything comes and belongs to God. 
We're only going to manage it for a season. And we will give account. The levels of being unfaithful is comparison. And when we compare with somebody else, I become inactive with my gift. And then I become ungrateful. But if I work it, ask some of these brothers and sisters that you see them that they're in a different level economically. Ask them where they started. My brother's a pilot for Southwest, a captain for Southwest. He started buffing floors at HEB. Worked it. Ask some of these other people and they'll tell you where they got it. I had to work it. I'm not where I'm at just because God has favorites. No, I started off with the one. I just didn't bury it. I worked it and I got two. And God gave me two because he knew I could work it. I got four. God says, you know what? Let me try you with five. Start because what you have is what God sees the ability you can handle. And God wants to know. Can you go beyond that so that I can trust you more?